Good morning. Welcome back. Good to be together. Hope you had a great break. It's a new semester. It's a new year. As we were gathering here in this place, we have a new president of the United States. Normally, new things are times for hope, and I think there is hope in that. But yet, you're all here in masks. We're not through this yet. Even though the calendar changed, even though we have a new semester, I don't know about you, but I have to admit I have a little weariness in me. And I think I hear that in your voices from time to time too, and in the faculty and the staff. And so I've entitled our message today, Do Not Become Weary. I want you to think of me this morning as a travel guide, if you will. I'm going to look back a little, and then I'm going to look forward. I'm going to preview this semester's chapel. That's really my main role here this morning, is to preview the chapel series that's to come, and I'll do that at the end. But I want to look back as well a little bit with you to maybe understand our weariness just a little bit, to put it in context and hopefully give you some tools to try to live into this, to let us not be weary, to let us keep on in well-doing. Just like that song said, it's not going to be done until Christ comes again. But until then, we have this semester. We have our lives. We have the kingdom to try to break forth. That's the point of this place. Those songs we sang contain the whole of Reformed theology, the whole of the book. He's the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer. And so as we live into this semester, I just want to give you a brief overview. I could have used, for instance, just in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. But I want to take the long way there today through 2 Timothy been spending time in this passage, and it's quite scary to me, actually, and I don't know if it will be to you, but there's hope, as there always is. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days, and I'm not here to do revelation or eschatological forecasts. Think of that as the future. There will be terrible things in the future. Plagues, for instance. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, obedient, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love. You can go on from there. They are the kind that worm their way into homes. Anybody have their cell phones with them right now? We've figured out new ways to worm people into our lives and gain control over gullible people who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Interesting passage. I love this piece. That's why I highlighted it. Always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never being able to come to a knowledge of the truth. It goes on, they're men of depraved minds, etc., etc. And then he takes the turn. This is the end. This is the last words that are written to Timothy. The final giving. You, however, know about my teaching, my way of life. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, etc.? And then he says this, and this is what I want to say to you this morning. But as for you, continue on in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. It's not just your profs. It's the Creator God, the writer of the book that you learned it from. And we bring that to you. We bring that together in community. You know the people you've learned it from, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures 
which are able to make you wise for salvation as opposed to learned but never getting to the truth. When we study Scripture and then we infuse it into everything, we get a deeper, different learning than the world gets. So yes, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. Yes, there are people trying to get into our lives and tell us truths that look like truths but aren't. But this semester, and indeed for the rest of your lives, I want to push you back to do this kind of learning. But as for you, continue on in what you have learned. Continue on in the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the longer version of in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And while we're weary right now, that should give us hope. And that's what I want to do a little dealing with this morning is deal you some hope. Because that's the promise. Although through masks, although through semesters that should have been different, although through political strife, although, 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 this is the truth. And if you're going to finish the race and not just sit down and say, I'm weary, you need to lean into that in the semester ahead and indeed for the rest of your lives. But as I said, we got a new president. Even as we walked in here, Joe Biden was taking the oath of office, unless I missed something on my Twitter feed and it didn't happen, but I think it did. I want to talk just a little bit about not mask strife or mask weariness, but political weariness. And maybe you said, I came to chapel because I thought that was all behind us. Well, I'm not going to go deep. But I do, I've been studying this, and I think there's something that I want the Dort community to understand about this. So let me talk first about 1 Timothy 2. I was in this building once, sitting down talking with our Senator Chuck Grassley. And I told him that our cabinet gets together every Wednesday, back then we do it Tuesdays now, to pray. And I told him we pray about once a month for our national and global leaders. He said, that's 1 Timothy 2. And I said, Senator Grassley, I'm sorry, I'm not a Bible scholar. He said this, he said, he pulled his old Bible out and he said, showed me this passage, well worn. And he says, I appreciate those prayers. And so I think it's appropriate as a community that you just bow with me for a moment. We're going to hold up the new administration. We're going to give thanks for the old. But we're Americans, and we're called in Scripture regularly. I could give you seven or eight passages to pray. So would you join me? Lord, in your word, that book that holds truth, you call us to pray for our leaders. Kings, as it says in this passage, but also presidents and secretaries and staffers. And so we do that this morning. It's a turning of a page for our country, and we do ask you to use the Biden administration for your purposes, to build your kingdom, and may we regularly hold them up in prayer. We also give you thanks for those in the last administration who have served and are no longer serving, and we ask you to bless them too. Lord, we trust this, not only in this country, but in every land that our students come from, we ask you to have your spirit in the meetings and the agendas and the minds and the hearts and the mouths of leaders throughout the world. It's because you've told us to pray and because we want to follow you that we bring this prayer before you. Amen. You do know I'm a little bit of a political junkie, so I've been studying this. Barb and I got married in 1988. Back in 1994, the Pew organization started some sociological research to look at the political polarization, they called it, way back in 94. 
in this country. It's a long survey, 100 questions, all statistically significant and all the things that your research professors would want. But this was the state in 1994. You see the blue and the red, and the middle of the blue and the red. There's a big bunch of purple in the middle of it in 1994, and I was there. It didn't feel much purple even back then. They've been repeating this survey throughout the years, and I'm just going to walk you through it. 1999, things separated a bit. 2004, they seem to have come back together a little bit. Well, if you know your history in 2001, right, we had 9-11, and our country really pulled together. You could say common enemy, you can say whatever it is, but we pulled together a bit in 2004. By 2011, we had separated again a little bit. By 2015, we'd separated a little bit more yet. And by 2017, I'm not sure there was much purple left. If you look back, I'll show you, 1994, 2017, the purple is about 50% or 50% smaller than it was in 94. It's a very short window of time in our country to have lost that much overlap between people. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Not to look back and say it should have been this or it should have been that. I want to talk about how are we going to live into the public square as Christians in the next piece that has for it. I'm very eager to see whether it's 2020 or 21. This is only one year into our last administration. And again, it's separated that much from 2005 to 17. A couple of other ways to look at it. In 94, the difference between the median Democrat and the median Republican was this yellow band. Well, let me put that into 2017. There's four and a half bands of difference between the middle-of-the-road Republican and the middle-of-the-road Democrat. I don't know about you, but if you feel homeless or like you feel you don't want to talk to anybody about politics, four and a half degrees of separation from what it was in 1994 is the reason why. So now let me just put those graphs on top of each other. I'm going to superimpose 2017 onto the overlap and the medians. And again, I'm not doing this to say who moved. They both moved. The median Republican has moved further to the right, and the median Democrat has moved further to the left. They parse the data in a different way. They look at the overall population, everybody. For instance, you could say that Barb is on the overall population, and Eric is on the politically engaged graph. That might be a good way for you to understand it, right? The people that think about politics a lot, and the people that care about politics somewhat. So this was the state in 1994. Again, I'll put the yellows in there. The politically engaged were two and a half times apart, whereas the general population was one. I would have guessed that it's further apart today, but interestingly, it's not. For the overall population is just as separated as the politically engaged. But what's scariest to me is for the politically engaged, look at how many people on both the right and the left are way outside the median. If you think there was a chasm in 94 with the politically engaged, we have an unbelievable chasm now. And I'm not here to talk about whose fault that is. I'm here to talk about how do we live into that as citizens of this country together. Again, what I told you is what really worries me are these bits here. 
Frankly, these are the people on both sides that we have seen acting out, both on our social media as well as in our streets. We can't be those people, but we need to live amongst those people. Their strategy to bring us together is to knock heads. My strategy for you is to nudge hearts. And I really think that we're called as Christians to live into it in a nudge hearts way. The kingdom of God is not for us to usher in in the United States. The kingdom of God is a global phenomenon that we are just a part of. We need to understand that. I hope that over the next 30 years, this middle purple grows. And again, I don't mean to say that because there's mealy mouth. There are people that want something on one end and the other, and they believe it's true and it's the best thing for this country. I'm not talking about Iowa nice or Minnesota nice. We need to have hard conversations. But my sense is this, that we are judging not ideas, but people. And that's what I would like you to take on, is to absolutely judge ideas, both in politics and every other area of life. But I think we need to follow this about the speck and the log and not be hypocritical, but also not judge people. So when we read Matthew 7 and it says, do not judge, my fear is we're going to say, well, that means I can't judge ideas. And we're not going to engage ideas and we're just going to go along to get along. And we're going to feel like our voices can't be heard. I don't believe God ever told us to not judge ideas. But he clearly has told us not to judge people. And I think if we take that into the public square in the decades ahead, to be hard on ideas and soft on people, I think then we're going to represent Christ as voters and maybe as politicians. If you're really into this stuff, a couple of resources. One of our senators, Ben Sass, wrote this book, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. He basically shows you you hate each other because you look at your phones and you don't talk to people. You're unwilling to have conversations about ideas and you judge the people just knowing one thing about them. We have to stop that on this campus, in this country, and across the world. Arthur Brooks says, Love Your Enemies. It's a great book. So if you're interested in those kinds of things, we've also had a speaker here, John Anazu, in the past, talked about confident pluralism. We're not talking about agreeing with everybody about the ideas, figuring out how to live in a pluralistic world in which we're going to have people on both sides of issues. And how do we stand confidently in that and be able to have conversations about ideas without judging people? And one of our board of members here at Dort, Rich Mao, this book I know is taught in at least two classes at Dort, Uncommon Decency. Finding ways to have productive conversations with those with you disagree without being disagreeable. And I hope that even though maybe this campus is a microcosm, that we can live into that, even through masks and frustrations and things don't go our way, we can have real conversations about ideas. One of the people I listen a lot to is John Stone Street. He's the president of the Colson Center. While I couldn't find this as a direct quote to John, I know I've heard him say either something like this or exactly this. I think he said Chuck Colson used to say this. Be hard on ideas and soft on people. So as we take our stand now in this new administration and into the rest of your life in terms of our public square, I ask you to maybe get a tattoo of this. 
Did I just say get a tattoo? I did. Be hard on ideas and soft on people. And you say, why do you say that? Is it just because it works well? No, because it's in this book. Both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter have told us that. And let me show it to you. Romans 12. Paul says, hate what is evil. Being soft on people does not mean being soft on ideas. He calls us to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. But he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not walk out of here this morning thinking, I told you to be soft on ideas. Look at, go to the first verse. Hate what is evil. We are called to speak truth, but to do it with grace. Probably the verse I've preached on more in my time as President Dort than any other, 1 Peter 2. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. For it is God's will that by doing good, you will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Want to go back to Timothy and say, yes, they're learning without really knowing the truth. They're ignorant people. We're not going to convince them by getting louder. We're going to convince them by doing good in the ways in which God has called us to do. Now I want to pivot and talk about this semester ahead and the chapel series that we're going to be working through. Aaron and I spent time thinking through this. This verse up there, Jeremiah 29, if Dort University had a life verse, I think this would be it. We have a motto, Soli Deo Gloria, but I think, and again, it's not mine to choose, but I think if Dort University had a life verse, this would be it. Because what you're here to do is in this verse. And why this place was started is in this verse. I've paraphrased here at the bottom. Make yourselves at home there and work for the country's welfare. Be in the world, but not of the world. So as we think about equipping you to do that in the semester ahead, our chapel series is going to look at that a little bit. So many of you have seen the strategic plan of Dort. You're on the very top of it, developing you into effective kingdom citizens. And not just students, but our alumni and the broader community. This is why we're here, to help people go into the world, to build houses, to plant vineyards, to settle down, to seek the welfare of the city. That's what building the kingdom of God is until He comes again. But if we're going to live out that life verse well, we have to equip you specifically. When we ask you to go out in the world and work heartily for the Lord, we need to equip you very specifically. And so that's what this chapel series this semester is going to do. Because we're not asked to play a small role in the world, we're asked to play an enormous role in the world. Right? When Christ said this, that I have come that you and have life and have it to the full, He wants us to have an expansive life. He wants us to kill it on His behalf. We're not talking about playing small as Christians, but if you're going to do that well, you need to be equipped for the journey. And you need to be equipped as you're weary in the middle of the journey to finish it well. So, what we're going to do this semester in chapel is look at these various aspects of our lives. 
Next week, Aaron will have a much better graphic of this, right? I'm the, I got the bad stuff. He's going to bring the good stuff. The graphic will be done next week. But it's going to be in the shape of a circle. Because as we talked about it, there's an old metaphor about turning the wheel. And again, I'm not Von Donahoe, and I don't have graphics abilities. But Barb and I have worked with this with our children and talking about in every area of your life, you need to be full. You need to be investing in every area of life. And that's what this pie shape represents. You need to be investing intellectually. That's why you're going to class. You need to understand your emotional and psychological nature. You need to understand your physical and sexual nature. You under, need to understand community engagement. And so this semester, each individual chapel is going to take a section of this pie and show you how to build that up in your life in order that you can have an impact. And, and the, the metaphor is this, that if you're fully formed in terms of this circle, you're going to be able to roll along in life and have an impact, okay? But if there are areas of your life that you haven't developed, if one of those pies is not fully formed, either your circle is going to be really, really small and you're not going to be able to have the impact that God called you to, you're not going to be able to live life to the full, which is what we mean by developing effective kingdom citizens. We want to help you equip yourself in every area of this life fully, so we want to help you build yourself intellectually, socially, emotionally, spiritually. Because if you're short of one of those or blank on one of those, and, and I will tell you, that semester we had some students who fall semester didn't pay enough attention to the pie of the intellectual, and they're not here this semester. I don't want that for you. Because what happens when you have something broken in one of the pies, you turn the wheel and it stops. And that can happen on any of these. The financial, it can happen on the intellectual, can happen on the spiritual, the psychological, emotional. We want you to be healthy people, to have that kingdom impact. And so each week in chapel, we'll be dealing with one of these, if you will, slices of the pie or spokes of the wheel. As we looked at the wheel, we said something, you know what? There's not a spiritual spoke of the wheel. We've got the church on there. We want you to understand why you need to be involved in a local church, but there's not a spiritual one. Well, we went back to um, the seal of Dort University. You see what's in the middle of the seal? The cross and an open Bible. Because that's the nature of spirituality, is it's not just one, if you will, slice of the pie, or it's not just one stave of the wheel. It needs to pervade all of them. And that's really what we mean by a Reformed world and life view, is that our spirituality, because of the cross and because of the Bible, pervades every area of life. You've heard that, right? Every area of life is pervaded with that. So that's what the chapel series this semester is designed to do. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to end in song. We're going to sing these themes through. I can't wait to see the tattoos of be hard on ideas and easy on people in the semester to come. But let me end with this. As you're weary in the middle of the journey, take these words to be able to, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue the semester ahead to spend time in the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Have a great semester. Welcome back.